morning, everyone. This morning we're continuing in chapter 14 of Matthew. We're speeding right along at speeds that defy human understanding. And this morning, my plan is, is to finish the entire chapter. And I emphasize that again because sometimes either the Holy Spirit diverts me or my own mind diverts me. I'm not sure which all the time, but hopefully the Lord is using, and I think he is, what is being said in here to bring glory to his name as he ministers to us. His glory is revealed accentuated as he ministers to us, correct? So we're very much an integral part of what it means to glorify God. Father, thank you so much for so much ministry, so much faithfulness, so much provision, so much protection, so much revelation, so much encountering. Father, thank you that all of this is contained within a book which in and of itself remains without life until the Holy Spirit causes this written word to become the living word of our God in us. So, Father, thank you that this morning... As you always do, so faithful, that this morning you will minister to us as we ask, as we wait, as we seek, knock, Father, as we receive, as we cooperate. Father, thank you for this. Father, we pray that again, that word which you speak to us will produce in us 30, 60, and 100-fold. Father, that miracle, miracle harvest that only the Holy Spirit can produce. We thank you for that. We expect it. We anticipate it. Because you've said you would. And we're here to receive and to walk in it. And to revel in it. To experience it. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, in chapter 14, excuse me, I just, you know, how many of you remember old cars and you had to fill the radiators regularly? (laughs) (laughs) This is what you're seeing when I have a drink. (laughs) I have to fill the radiator once in a while. New cars, you young people, y'all don't understand anything that I've just said. But remember years ago... When you were stuck in traffic, what was the main concern? Overheating of the car. But today, you can turn the engine on, and I suppose you can leave it on all day long without, unless it's functioning incorrectly, and it won't overheat. How can that be? Well, I'm that old car that still overheats and lets off steam and needs to be regularly filled. I know you don't know that, but that happens with me. <laughs> So that's why the water. Well, this morning, we're going to look at chapter 14. As again, I said, hopefully we'll get through it. It's not that I'm trying to minimize the word of God, but 
we can take every portion of everything that Matthew has, as in any of the Gospels, and spend weeks and weeks on them. And I believe the purpose of God is not to do absolute that kind of detail, but to give us a general overview as we're moving through, and occasionally really kind of settling down and paying particular attention to one aspect of Scripture and then moving on again. So this is what I felt to do this morning. So therefore, that's what I'm going to do by God's grace. So Matthew records, remember, in this particular chapter, he records three things. The death of John the Baptist, Jesus feeding, remember the 5,000, and then Jesus walking on the water. You remember those three miracles. So first of all, let's look at verses 1 to 12 with the death of John the Baptist. Now, Matthew opens this chapter with a report of John the Baptist, which has already taken place. This is something that has happened. You may remember something about that in chapter 4. But why? Why has he opened this chapter with a remembrance of that? Well, he's going to explain verse 13, which we'll get to. What does verse 13 say? Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Remember, Jesus is ministering to the crowds, and he hears a report of what has already happened. And when he hears the report of something about John the Baptist, he says, let's leave. We're going to another place. So he goes on to a desolate place to pray and to be alone. And so what has Jesus heard that motivated and really directed him to leave? What is going on here? So John the Baptist is dead. Why leave the ministry that you have there? Why, why change your plans? Well, of course, he hasn't left the ministry, and of course, he hasn't changed his plans. He's being led by the Holy Spirit, and he's ministering by the leadership of the Spirit. So let's read these verses, and let's see if we can see what Jesus has heard, hear what Jesus heard. Verses 1 to 12. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, remember, Jesus is ministering and doing all kinds of work. Great crowds are coming to him. Herod hears about this. He hears about this. And and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in Jesus. For Herod had seized John. See, this is the history that had happened. He had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they had held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and this disciples and his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus well what Jesus heard what has he heard what has Jesus heard Jesus heard what he heard is explained in the first statement at that time Herod the tetrarch 
heard about the fame of Jesus, and Herod said this, this is John the Baptist. He's come back from the dead. That's what he says. So what is this inferring? He's come back from the dead. John was doing these miracles. I put him to death. He's come back from the dead. I need to get a hold of Jesus and re-kill John, who is now Jesus, you know, reincarnated as Jesus. Do you hear it? So he thinks Jesus heard that Herod had imagined that John had returned as Jesus and would try to kill Jesus, thinking he has to re-kill John the Baptist. And so having heard that, Jesus withdraws from that area. Now, why does Jesus depart? Was he afraid? Why did he depart? Why, when a ministry is going and blowing, does someone seemingly forsake the ministry? Do you remember another example of that in Acts chapter 8? Some of you may remember that in Acts chapter 8. Isn't it Acts chapter 8? Hmm? The ministry of Philip. Isn't it Acts chapter 8? And Philip, I mean, this is revival time. Something that Baptists dream of. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving. People are getting saved. You know, testimonies of God's great work. And all of a sudden, Philip, the pastor, you know, maybe he's the evangelist preacher because he is an evangelist, is ready to come up and take the stage tonight to speak to thousands of people so they can, more can be saved and everybody's ready. And at seven o'clock, where's Philip? Where's Philip? He's out in the desert talking to some Ethiopian. What, what are you talking about? He's left. Doesn't he know that there are thousands here? You mean to tell me he's going to give up all this opportunity for ministry just to talk to some dude out in the desert? That's not how ministry's done. Ministry always follows the opportunity to be successful in a worldly sense. People, 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 people. We have to be careful that the ministry we are part of in this church isn't oriented toward and judged by the outward success. We have to be careful because if that's the way it is, Philip made a mistake. Jesus made a mistake. You see, all ministry, all ministry of a believer is primarily and essentially and really only our ministry to God. And what is that ministry to God? That ministry is to hear and understand and obey the Father's purpose as we're being led by the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry that we're called into. So we're not called to speak to thousands and to travel the world and to do whatever, alphas and Sunday school. What am I thinking, Sunday school? Uh, I, that was a slip. That was a real slip. Uh, you know, VBS. We're not called to do that. This is our call, 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 
That's the call that we're called to. That's the ministry that we're called to. For God is faithful who has called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Out from that root, that trunk of ministry to God, for him and from him and about him, this tree of the church branches out by the leading of the Holy Spirit into whatever areas. But under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus leave? Because simply put, it was not his time. You see, the Father had ordained before the foundation of the world that the death of Jesus would occur at a particular time and that anything that would attempt in any way to divert or change or interrupt or move that time from the Father's decreed moment, Jesus was not going to obey that word. And so the Father's time, the Father's place, the Father's means, all of these are critical to the accomplishment of the salvation of God's people, to the establishment of his kingdom. Absolutely critical to the very nth degree. Each aspect of God's work must be carried out absolutely accurately and perfectly by the Lord Jesus. Perfectly. Without any misstep. Why did he leave? Why, Phil? Wrong time, wrong place, wrong method. Right? Was Jesus a coward? No. He was an obedient servant. That's what he has. That's what you see here. So Jesus left. You see, it isn't that Jesus didn't care about the people. It wasn't that Philip didn't care about the people. It isn't that we don't care about the people. We care more and primarily about the honor of our God as we obey him being led by the Spirit. Amen? That's where our heart's care is. And if that's our heart's care, then the Father's care and method of ministry, etc., will be accomplished in us and through us by his Holy Spirit for the ministry of God's people. So let's be real careful not to get this thing backward and upside down. Let's make sure we keep it where God wants it to be kept, where Jesus always, where Paul also, you see this in the lives of these men of God. Verses 13 to 21, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So here we get the verse and then that we just alluded to. And when Jesus heard this, remember, Herod is a coming, and he thinks you're John to re-kill you. Jesus hears this. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds, go back home. They need to buy some food for themselves. Hey, these people, these people are hungry, Jesus. You've just preached too long. 
I love that verse because that says to me, I have a wide open door to take my time whenever I preach in this church. Amen. <laughs> so you need to feed these people. Can you imagine a preacher preaching so long that we miss lunch, we miss dinner? I mean, this guy is going on and on and on. And the preacher comes to the elders, two of whom, three of whom are in this room today. And he says, and the elders say to him, Phil comes up and says, Preacher, you've got to let these people go home. They're hungry. And the preacher says, You feed them. <laughs> this preacher's crazy, Phil. How do you feed 5,000 people? We have a few dollars in our pocket, but, you know, nothing like that. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, look, let's make it real. What do you think the disciples looked like when Jesus said that? What kind of a look do you think they gave to him? Not only incredulous, but what? Are you crazy? <laughs> Come on, let's face it. Lester, someone says that to you. Man, this man has really missed it. There's something wrong with this guy. He says, you feed them. And they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said this, bring it to me. Bring it to me. You see, whatever God has given us, hear, hear, hear how I said it. I didn't say whatever we have to give God. Whatever God has given us for his purpose, whatever it is, in order for it to feed the thousands of his people, we must first give it to Jesus. We must first submit it, and if you would, give it away in order to receive it back in a way that will truly honor and glorify the one who gave it to us. Now, it's not so much that if we don't do this, God will never honor his word. He's going to honor his word. Isaiah 55, 11 tells us that. But the purpose of our lives is to minister unto the Lord in these issues, and how do we do it? Whatever gifting you have, there's gifts in here. Whatever background you have, there are backgrounds in here. Whatever associations and fellowship and relationships you have, and they are in this room. Whatever the Holy Spirit has done in any of us and for all of us, how is it to be used to feed the thousands? Jesus said this, Gordon, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. So they give it to him. And what does he do with these paltry, I mean, come on, how many fish? How many loaves of bread? Now, that can feed about the first row. You know, the hungry people on the first row, whoop, that's gone. And he takes the little that he's given us. Now, I said it that way purposefully. How many of us think, I only have a little bit? Now, come on. Some of you people in here have almost no ministry abilities. Come on. 
Don't you think that? Don't you, don't you realize that? Don't you feel that? I mean, compared to the pastor, I can't, I can't. I, you know, Carol, it's just, that's how we think. But what does Jesus say? Give it to me. And whether you have one gift, two fish, five loaves, however much you have, because I've given you what you have in everything that I have given you, no matter what you think of it, becomes an atomic bomb of ministry under my leading. Amen? Don't deprecate and put down what God has given you to be. Don't do that. Don't do it. I honestly, before the Lord, believe that a man like Keith Collins or an Evan May have far greater gifts than I do. Far greater gifts. And I don't say that for any... I I, I just... I know it. They have far greater gifts than I do. So what am I to say? Oh, well, you know, compared to Evan... I mean, the guy has a brain that... Unusual. Let me just say it that way. (laughs) I mean, the gifting... I'm going to talk about Bill Treby again. He enjoys me doing that. (laughs) Bill Treby... You know, everybody knows him, and he's the old guy with the white hair back here. Has been gifted in several ways. In several ways, but a primary gifting of his has been that God sent him to Tulane University to study law. Certainly to make a living and all that. But I believe not primarily for that. And then he brought him to this church in the mid-60s. And then God began to use Bill's law experience in ways that have ministered to, maintained, and assured by the Spirit God's continuing ministry in this church. It's been incredible. I'm not bragging about Bill Treby. I'm bragging about the Holy Spirit. This man has nothing outside of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't, I'm not like that. I can't do that. I, I can't lead with exuberance like a Phil Widener. I mean, this is one of the big the guys had the biggest mouth in the church right there. This is a big mouth man right there. He shouts and screams. You can hear him all over this building. Hallelujah. The other week, you didn't hear him at all because he, he said later, and so we thought something was wrong in the church. There was a whole section of the building that was closed down. Phil had, what do you call that, laryngitis. The guy has a big mouth. Ricky Vega over here. I mean, the guy's just a carpenter. All he does is put wood together. And yet, when this church, the old building, was being renovated, he and his brother, I've never seen two men work like this. Ricky's up there way at the top, and he's yelling down to his brother, 16 by two and a half, and they're throwing these things up in the air, and Ricky, boom, 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 boom. And how do people work like this? So what gift is more important in this room? What's the most important gift in this room? Surely the teacher. Right, Phyllis? Oh, surely. Come on, Phyllis. Come on. I'm going to tell you secrets if you don't say yes. 
What gift is most important here? The one that God gives you. That's the most important gift in this room. Jerry, don't think Peter Davidson's the most important gift. I am equal gifted with everyone else in whatever category for the purpose of God. Working out and functioning differently and whatever, but that's God's. So who will get the greatest glory or the approbation or the gifts and rewards on the day of uh, um, uh, the judgment? Certainly I will because I speak to hundreds. I used to go down to the mission twice a week, preaching twice a week for years. The upper room for years. Certainly, Liz, I'm going to be one of the top people there. And you look at Butch here. What have you done? What have you done? And on the day of judgment, I think, and I think you need to be prepared for this. I'm kind of prepared, but you don't ever really get prepared. I think we need to kind of be prepared for this. We're going to be shocked. For the little old, quote, nothing in the church is going to be maybe gifted beyond all the big hikes in the worldly sense. Jesus said, give it to me. Watch what I'm going to do. Give it to me. Watch what I'm going to do. So he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass to see, sit. They that wait upon the Lord, they receive. Sit. Relax. Receive. Trust. And taking the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces over, uh, left over. And about 5,000 men were there, not even counting the women and the men, uh, children. How, many, how much was left over? How does Jesus feed the people? He never does it unilaterally. He does it through his servants. So one disciple is carrying four bags or something. Another is just carrying one fish. I don't know how, you know, we don't know. It went around. But the point is, every disciple was involved in feeding, in ministering. And the point wasn't that Peter the apostle has more than John. You're going to get more people fed. The point of it is that every one of them were obedient to do the feeding that the master had given them to do. So, Karen, what happened? Everybody ate. And about half the crowd was still hungry at the end of the meal, right? What does it say? Those of you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be... You're going to get fed well. And they got fed well, right, Gordon? They got fed well. Why does Matthew record this? Well, I guess so. I mean, a great miracle like this. Everybody got to know this is a miracle. No, that's not why it was recorded. That is a secondary issue. The miracle here is that this is God. In the flesh, serving the needs of his people. 
miracle. This is the miracle that is happening here as demonstrated through the activity of feeding and being fed. We look at the Bible and say, look at these great works. Look at this. Look at We're missing the point. The point of every single one of these recordings is to show us that God is here in the person of his son. Remember John 1, 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, that glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. That's the miracle that is the heart and the seed of every one of these activities. Let's be astounded Not that a cripple comes to church one Sunday morning and is healed. (gasps) Got to tell somebody, got to tell somebody. Let's be astounded that God has condescended through the death of his son. And then by the giving of the Spirit after the resurrection to use such as we to be channels of anything at all. Amen. That's the miracle, Henry. That's the miracle. Jesus is here with us. That's the miracle. What is the miracle in this room this morning? Jesus is here with us. That's the miracle. Jesus is here with us. Please get this as the focus and burden of Matthew. This is the promised Messiah. And these are signposts and declarations. Jesus had compassion on them. The greatest work of compassion is not getting healed of cancer. The greatest work of God's compassion on us is being born into the kingdom of God. That's the compassion. And every other work of compassion in us by the Spirit is as a consequence of and a revelation of the greatest work of compassion he had when he birthed us into his kingdom so when we talk about the will of our work of god it's good to say jesus did this and he answered that and he did that and he led me over here great do that but then always ending with this all of it is due to his enormous eternal infinite compassion in saving me at the cross of christ Applied by the Holy Spirit. Let's make sure we communicate the essence of the gospel accurately as God gives it to us. Just a couple of other things. What a picture. This is a picture of, remember Moses led, was God's deliverer to lead the people out of bondage. Went into the wilderness. And what did Jesus, what did Moses do? He fed them. Remember, the people, were, he fed them. And you see that 
explanation of why I have fed you all these years this way. You see it in Deuteronomy 8, the first three verses. I won't read that, but you see it there. And so what a picture here Matthew is giving us. Jesus, quote, the, not only the second Moses, but the one whom Moses foreshadowed. As Moses, what Moses did in the wilderness in type and shadow and in an impermanent way, Jesus now is doing it fully fulfilling in a permanent way. Amen? That's what we have here too. Jesus walks on water, 22 to 36. Man, I wish I'd have been there to see that. Man, man, I love that. Again, let's be excited about the miracles because they show us Jesus is here with us. Amen? Let's not make more of the miracles than we make of the person and presence of the Lord Jesus himself. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. I like that idea. He made the disciples and go before him to the other side while he was dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening had come, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. They're in a storm. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were crying, ah, it's a ghost. Remember, these people were spooky. And I know you're not spooky today, you know, right? How many of you don't walk on the ladders, you know, and all that kind of stuff and still cross yourselves here or there and whatever? And he said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come on down, Peter. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. They see this apparition, so they think, coming toward them. They see a figure of a person. Uh Uh-oh, we're way out in the water, and there's somebody walking on the water. This has got to be a ghost. Again, what is the purpose of this? As the Messiah, Jesus has authority over all the activities and issues and storms and whatever of life. It's not just he's walking on water. <clears throat> he probably knew where the stones were. You've heard that joke, right? Better tell him where the stones are, the guys sink. Now, he's walking on water, again, to demonstrate his authority over his own creation. He's making a statement about himself being the Messiah. And they see him, and of course they're afraid. I mean, how many of y'all ever been out in a boat? How many of you have seen people walking on the water? You're out there fishing 10 miles out, and then the Joe Blow comes walking. Hey, how you doing there? I hope you caught something. <laughs> Warren, we got to see the, 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 the issue here. How many people have you seen walking on water when you've been out on a boat? A lot? Oh. <laughs> 
better lay hands on Warren. <laughs> and how many of you, if you saw someone walking toward you, would get a little nervous? James, would you be a little nervous? Who is this man? <sighs> Let's be real. Andy, they haven't seen a whole lot of people walking on water lately. I've only seen it four times now. Haven't seen it, never have seen it. Jesus says, it is I. He uses a form of, in the Greek, ego ami. Which is taken, if you go to Isaiah 44 and 45, anihu. Which is the term, I, I am. What is he saying there, Jack? I am Yahweh, the God of glory. This is who I am. They don't get it. But Sam, this is what he's declaring. By walking on the water, by feeding the 5,000, by raising the dead, by healing eyes and ears and touching, by doing this, what is Jesus saying? Ego Amy, Yahweh. I am the God of glory. I am he. And he uses the same terminology that you get out of these chapters, 44 and 45, especially in Isaiah. Anihu, the Hebrew, ego amy. It's a translation. If you go to the LXX, you know, that Septuagint, the translation of the... Hebrew Bible into the Greek around 250 B.C., you'll see it's the same word. It's translated right into there. So what is Jesus saying? I am none other than the creator, your God. And Peter said, hey, if it's you, and he doesn't hear that Yahweh kind of a thing, if it's you, grabs a hold of him, of course he sinks. I find myself sometimes sinking in the quagmire of my own issues because I have not kept my eyes firmly. You see, the devil's purpose is to create such storms in our lives that we will begin to look away from the God of glory to something else, which Eve did in the garden, hath God said. And immediately her eyes saw that same tree that she had been seeing in a different way. She began to see the tree, something of and about and for herself. And we see the storms of life and experience these things, and we relate to them in a personal way. What about me and mine and our and my future? This is how we relate to them rather than relating to them within the context of trusting God and knowing He's in the storm with us. And there's no storm that's going to overtake him, therefore overtake us, because we are in him. And so Peter begins to sink, and what does Jesus say? Oh, big shot. You want to come out here? Go on down. He grabs a hold of him. How many of us have had, not little faith, I'm going to call it, we can't little, little faith, I'm going to call it what, David? Weak faith. You ever have weak faith? Yeah. Humming, 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 you know, or whatever. You're making sure he said yes, right? <laughs> we have a little contest going on here. Weak, how weak, right? And 
we feel condemned. Weak faith. Oh, I, John, I, I didn't do that right. Lord, I just, I didn't, understand. whatever. Weak faith. The question comes up, uh-oh, what's God going to do? What's God going to do, Wendy? The Holy Spirit is going to reach out his hand. And with the power of God Almighty, he's going to bring you up out of that, whatever it is. And show you this most important truth that Paul learned in 2 Corinthians 12. Power is perfected in the midst of weakness. One of the things I've learned in life and still learning, that when I am weak and fail, I am learning more and more the reality and the power of my God. For if I were always successful and never failed, and so I don't love failure, I hate it, but then I don't kick it around and stomp on it and bewail it. I thank God that he's showing me the most essential thing that we need to learn. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God does man live. Lastly, 34 to 36, the summary. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Isn't this the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Taking those who are sin sick and making us well. Amen. Next week we'll start chapter 15.